Hi, welcome to the Axe Church UK weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired and blessed by today's message. Enjoy. If you are taking down notes, um, you know, tell you what, let me let me do this fun little social experiment. Then I'll give you the title for today's message. <laughs> Amen. Um, this is a fun little question. I, I, it's, it's a question that I have... Um, asked myself and I've asked people around me and maybe if we fellowship together in church before maybe I've even asked you this for fun uh, but it's a good heart check and so let, let's let's play along let's participate along let's say one day um, both you and a friend um, are backpacking traveling having holiday uh, in France and uh, in the most beautiful wine region of France I, I'm never been there maybe the south of france i heard that's pretty uh and uh, you're just enjoying yourself you know backpacking cycling you know walking through the vineyards and then you meet uh, a friendly french uh, uh, a farmer or, or, or villager that, that says that oh you're in luck you know you're you're actually very near uh, uh this amazing little village that has you know one of the best uh, 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 restaurants. In fact, in that town, there is a three Michelin star restaurant, you know, specializing in local, regional French cuisine. And this will blow your mind and you're going to be blessed. And so you take the word of this friendly villager farmer and they go, oh, okay, okay, uh, thank you, merci. I'm going to keep walking to uh, the village. And then as you walk into the village, you know, you realize, oh, you know, you're, you're just in time for an early dinner, six o'clock. And even though this is a famous restaurant, the lines have yet to start. And right in front of you in the village square, there are two French restaurants, only two, and they're next to each other, right? Now, listen carefully. One of them, okay, both of them look identical, superficially. One of them, you can look right into the kitchen. One of them has a, a, a chef who looks French, you know, whether he is from France or not, but he just looks. Maybe he has a beret. I don't know. Okay, I don't want, I don't want to general. I don't be too, you know, stereotypical. But, but, but you know, one, one chef looks really French. Mind you, just looks really French. Both restaurants look very French on the outside. The menus are all in French. And when you look into the kitchen, one of them looks like a French chef, however you imagine a French chef to look like. And then on the other one, when you look into the kitchen, uh, you know, there is a chef. He's dressed in his chef white, uh, but he's not French. Uh, maybe he's, well, since I'm, you know, Asian-looking, Chinese-looking. Let's say he's a Chinese or Eastern Asian-looking gentleman or lady. It's all right. Uh, wearing Chef White standing there. Both look equally charismatic. Both are standing in the kitchen, giving orders to, to other chefs, working around them. Now, let me ask you this question. You don't speak French? There's no way for you to find out. Which restaurant would you go into? Would you go into the French restaurant? Both are French restaurants. But the French restaurant that has the French-looking chef at the back in the kitchen giving orders? 
Or would you go to the French restaurant with a Chinese chef, but giving orders in French still? Now, these two restaurants, side by side, you don't know which is better. You don't know which one was the one that the farmer, the villager recommended to you. Which one would you walk into? Think about it. No right or wrong answer. By ties in today's message. I did this fun experiment with my wife, if that's a cat. Uh, and she said, um, the, the restaurant with the French chef, of course. And I asked why? Because he looks French. Okay. But why can't the other one be the restaurant that the farmer, the villager was talking about? Because he's not French. But... I asked, how do you know whether he's French or not French? Maybe he really loves the cuisine. And then we went on talking about it. And basically, uh, anytime I fellowship people, and I've, I've, I've thrown them this question before, maybe I've changed the cuisine of the restaurant. Some, sometimes I say French restaurant, sometimes I say Japanese restaurant, but it's always, always with a chef that looks ethnically uh, traditionally tied to that particular cuisine and the other that is not traditionally tied to the cuisine. And most of the time, the people I talk to, most of the time, would say, oh, I would go to a Japanese restaurant with a Japanese chef in front. I would go to a French restaurant with a French chef in front. Uh, even though I have nothing else to prove uh, my decision except by pure looks only. And you can have this, you know, have fun, you know, in the chat. Let me know which one you will go for. I mean, be honest. Now you might be thinking, Pastor, what's the point? Today's message, the title of today's message is called Unconscious Bias. Unconscious Bias. Now, regardless of your answer, there is no right answer but it is a question that I have discovered reveals uh, in our hearts our unconscious bias, uh, our bias towards, you know, certain groups of people uh, and so on and so forth. And, you know, with the way things are going in the world today, I just wanted to start with this fun little cheeky question uh, because before we as people and as a church can call out the racial injustice and the social injustice and call out the biasness in other people, we've got to learn to call it out on ourselves. Because the thing about this is this, at the end of the day, biasness, racial prejudice, class prejudice, where you judge people on the color of their skin or their education background by what they wear, it's all because of our own biasness, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. But at the root of this bias is our sinful nature. And, and, and through this exercise, we come to realize that, man, I do have some sort of bias. And no matter how I choose to spin it, that biasness is rooted in sin because the Bible says in Romans, all men have fallen, all men have sinned. 
and fallen short of the glory of God. And so I want to talk to us today, like I said, before we can be a church that calls it out, and it's important, it's important that when we see injustice, to call it out. But it's also important for us to call it out in ourselves first. Let the healing start at home. Let the change start at home. Let the repentance start at home. Let's not just point fingers at other people and rage against them, but let's begin to search our hearts and go like, am I also part of the problem and how can I change? But this is not a message to talk about the protests that are happening in the times that we're living in right now. This is a message that I hope can help us because just the how unconscious biasness is hurting the world and hurting human relations, it can also hurt our walk with God. It's not just man-to-man -man relationships that can be hurt by our biasness, but even our relationship with God. And so I want to uh, uh, teach us from this passage of scripture, specifically the parable of the rich young ruler. Some of you might be familiar with this. And uh, this is a famous parable. It's found in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to 22. It's found in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 22. It's found in Luke 18, 18 to 23. You know, when three of the four Gospels talk about this parable, it must be a very important parable. But as I was, you know, preparing this message uh, processing all that's happening uh, in the time that we're living in right now, the Lord began to speak and say that just as bad as our biasness towards another human being is, we can also have our own biasness against uh, a God and the things of God. And that is going to hurt us even more. And just like how we need to work on our unconscious biasness in the world that we're living in, we must also work on our unconscious biasness in our walk with God. Amen? So, so, so again, the, the title for this message is Unconscious Bias. And I'm going to specifically go to Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 22. I'll tell you why that uh, version uh, is, is my preferred text for today. Amen? Mark 10, 17 to 22. If you're there, can I hear a good amen? Amen. Praise God. And I'm going to read it out. Mark 10, 17 to 22 says this. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, Honor your father and your mother. And he answered, said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him and loved him, said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. Verse 22, But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great, possessions. Amen. Praise God. God bless the reading of his word. And in this portion of scripture, you have Jesus's interaction with a rich young ruler. And uh, this is someone that was maybe from an affluent background, 
from in a position of authority in the local community, maybe in the synagogue. He had a desire to, to engage with Jesus. He had a hunger for eternal life, but he was also derailed from the pursuit of God uh, due to different things that were in his heart. Unconscious bias. We can have unconscious bias, not just towards the people around us and the things around us, but also in particular, three other things. Point number one, we can form an unconscious bias towards God. This young man had an unconscious bias towards Jesus. Because it says here in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10, he says, good teacher. And then Jesus quickly replied in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. And, and this is by no means Jesus saying that he's not good. This is by no means Jesus denying his own divinity. Instead, Jesus was basically preparing this young man and checking him and saying that, do you really mean what you say or are you saying it because it's the right thing to say? Are you calling me good teacher because you see my teaching and you recognize them as coming from God and having the source of it from God and like the teachings of God? Or are you just being polite and are you just trying to flatter me? And the thing is this, that we can form an unconscious bias in our walk with God because we can either be like the young man and not take the goodness of God seriously, or we can take the, the goodness of God too seriously. Let me explain, right? So Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And then Jesus began to teach him. And so the, the, the problem is that we can be biased to think that if God is good, he will not challenge or correct us. You see, Jesus preempted this young man and said, okay, if you call me good teacher, know what you are asking and I'm going to give it to you. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't commit adultery. You know, don't steal. Don't lie. Don't, 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 you know, listing out at least half of the commandments to him. And many times in our walk with God, we can be like this rich young man. We want God. We want eternal life. But are we willing to commit to all of Christ's teaching? In, in, in my journey as a pastor and in, in my own work as a believer, I find that sometimes um, our preconceived idea, and that's what biasness is, you know, it's an inclination or prejudice for or against someone or something. And sometimes we can have a preconceived idea about God and, and, and many times I've met people who say that, wow, God is good. And because he is good, he will only lead me to green pasture. He, you know, because he is good, he will bless me. Because he is good, he will open this door. Oh, oh wow, a blessing has entered my life. This must be from God because only God can bless. And, and, and sometimes if we're not careful, we can form a bias that all things good can only come from God and not only that, must be from God. And so instead of taking time to pursue God, instead of taking time to, to, to seek after his heart, uh, we allow the goodness in life 
to be the deciding factor. Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? You know, sometimes we go like, wow, you know, I wasn't looking for this job, but this job came. And because a job equals financial provision, equals financial stability, equals a visa to stay in this country, therefore it can only be from God. But you must understand that the moment God, Jesus said, if I am the good teacher and there's no one good except God, don't do this. Don't. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was immediately checking and challenging this young man. And so we got to learn to balance that. Yes, God is good, but it doesn't mean that God will not correct you. Yes, God is good, but it doesn't mean that he will not lead you into the wilderness. Yes, God is good, but it doesn't mean that he will not shake your life with uncertainty and allow tragedies to enter. If you look at the Bible, everyone that we admire, every Bible hero, their life wasn't just good, 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 good. Their life was good, oh, valley, good, then tragedy. But through the valley and tragedy and the pit, God was with them. That's the type of, of relationship we need to have with God. And not just box God up in our definition of good. Because without the pit, Joseph wouldn't reach the palace. Without Pontifar's household, Joseph wouldn't reach the palace. Without the prison, Joseph wouldn't reach the palace. But if Joseph, like the rich young man's idea of God as good as if just being lip service, then he would not be able to accept some of this pit, palace and prison issues. And so we got to be Christians that says that, God, you are good, but you're good enough to challenge me. You're good enough to correct me. You're good enough to call me out on the wrong things in my life. But just as how it's important for us to, to view God as good, but also welcome his correction, we must also be mindful that just because God corrects, it doesn't mean that he's not good. Because we can fall into these two extremes. We can either go like, God is good and no correction, no evil thing, no tragedy can come from him. If a tragedy comes, if hardship comes, I reject it, I bind it, you know, I curse it. You know, life doesn't always work like that. Recently, someone told me a funny story. There was this group of Christians meeting online via Zoom and they were praying, praying and interceding. And halfway through the intercession that was going on so powerfully, uh, the, the, the Zoom meeting suddenly went out, got cut. And they were all perplexed and they were trying to join in on the Zoom again and it just couldn't reconnect. And so they started to, to, to bind and curse and go like, you know, this must be the work of the devil. You know, in Jesus' name, we bind this. You know, the devil must be so threatened by what we're trying to pray. Come on, let's press in until later on. A member realized that, wait a second, I think Zoom, if you're not using the paid version, has a 40-minute limit. And so in that 40 minutes, whether you're praying or doing whatever, it will cut off. And so sometimes we can be too naive to, to, to immediately perceive any form of intrusion uh, as not from God, when sometimes God just allows that because that is life. And on the other hand, sometimes we can, we, we can know the nature of God, that He does correct, He does challenge us, that 
we form a bias against God that we become so afraid to surrender to Him. And because we know that we are sinners and God is good and our standards don't match up to Him, on the other hand, we can be so afraid to surrender that even though we're Christians and even though we know that God is good, we find it hard to trust Him. You know, let me just give you an example from my own life. I still remember uh, when I was growing up uh, as a teenager, uh, I had come to know the Lord. But as a teenager, you, you, you know, you, you have crushes. And I remember in high school, you know, I was a very shy guy. And, and I would just, you know, I, I would have crushes every now and then. I would see a girl, uh, you know... <laughs> You know, it's dumb stuff, okay? Like, I'm just waiting for the bus and then another school bus passes by and I saw a girl by the window and I just, wow, that is just the most amazing girl ever. And, just, and, and, and a little crush would just form and every day I would just long for that school bus to pass. Or sometimes I'll go attend a class or attend a tuition class and I'll meet a, a girl from another school and I'll never have the guts to speak to her, but I'll just admire her from afar and have a crush. And... And even though I was a Christian, and I know that in all matters of, of life and love and attraction, we should learn to trust God. And there was even a, a prompting from the Holy Spirit to say that, well, no, Dave, you're head over heels in crush with that girl. Have you tried praying to God? And I would go like, no, 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 no. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. Because in my heart of hearts at the time, I had a feeling, which most likely was true, that if I had surrendered that crush to God, God would crush it. <laughs> God would take it away. God would cancel it. And I was like, I'd rather have that fleeting moment of, of, of you know, puppy love than to not be in love at all. I know, it's sappy, romantic stuff. But, that, I mean, that's just an example from my life. But I've gone on to meet so many people who find it hard to bring their issues, their problems to God. And they would rather talk to a friend. They would rather read a book. They would rather talk to a counselor than to just spend some time talking to God. And so many times I, as a pastor, I've sat down with people and they say, God, no pastor, please counsel me. I've got this problem. I've got this problem. I've got this problem. And every time I ask them, well, okay, good. Let me give you that advice. But hey, have you tried talking to God about it? Have you tried surrendering to God about it? Have you allowed God to come in? And they would just silently look away. And that's when I know, oh, you're afraid, aren't you? And I want you to know, just like Jesus said, no one is good except one, God. God is good. And yes, God is so good that he will check us when we need to be checked, but God is so good that he welcomes our interaction. And so I want to warn us against the other type of bias, which is that we can perceive God to be a hard taskmaster, that we find it difficult to go to him. But I want to tell you, friends, don't have an unconscious bias against God. Don't be so biased to think that because he is good, he will not challenge you. Learn to accept the challenge and correction of the Lord because God only corrects those that he loves. Not every no is evil. 
We don't like to hear a rejection. We don't like to be turned down. But God sometimes closes the door, turns us down, says no to us because he has truly something better or maybe he knows us better and that we are not ready to go through that yet. But on the other hand, just because God loves us and has a track record of challenging us and checking us doesn't mean that we don't learn to be like a child and learn to ask again and ask again and say, Daddy, God, what do you think? Daddy, God, I, I wonder. And allow that closeness to God to build intimacy with Him. Amen. Point number two. Besides biasness against God, we can form a biasness about guilt. Guilt. And in the parable that we read, had a lot of commandments, had a lot of do's and don'ts. And sometimes as Christians, we uh, can be like the rich young ruler and form our own opinions about our, uh, how good we are, about how holy we are. In verse 19, Jesus responded to this rich young ruler by saying that don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, aka don't lie, don't defraud other people, and honor your father and your mother. And, and the rich young ruler's reply was, all of these I have done since I was a young child, since I was a young boy. And sometimes as Christians, yes, you are saved. Praise God. And by the grace of God, you've had really positive, you've had a really positive lifestyle, real positive and holy living there. You know, you don't murder, you don't, uh, you don't commit adultery, you don't lust, you don't steal, you don't, you never lie, good on you, you know, you never defraud and, and you love your parents, you know, and that's great. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can form because of how we uh, have very little issues due to our upbringing, due to our background. Some of us are blessed to grow up in a Christian family with parents who love us very much. And sometimes that's good living, if I can put it that way, makes us biased to think that we are okay and that we have nothing to improve on anymore. And unknowingly, what happens is that we've been lured into the trap of comfort. And, and instead of realizing that, yes, uh, God has commands, but but I've got so much more to learn and so much more to do. Mind you, when Jesus repeated all this, he was only naming half of the commands. And, and even then, in verse 21, Jesus said, okay, if you say you've done all these things, one thing you still like, go sell all you have and give to the poor. And goes on to say, not only give to the poor, but store up treasures in heaven, pick up your cross and follow me. And, 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 as Jesus said this scripture, as we read earlier on, said the man was greatly distressed and walked away sad and walked away from Jesus. Sometimes we got to be watchful not to allow our Christian wholesome living to form a biasness in us, thinking that we are a-okay, we do not need to work on any more stuff. This young man thought that he had it all nailed down, not realizing that the key to victorious living is not about keeping rules, it's about following Christ. Jesus said, these are the rules, but sell all you have and follow me. Let us not forsake the fact that salvation is not an event. 
Salvation is not just, you know, being emotional, falling on our knees, repenting, crying, feeling sorry. Salvation is about following Christ. It's a journey. The Bible says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and to follow Christ, to pick up our cross daily, deny ourselves and follow Him. So let us be mindful not to form an unconscious bias about guilt and think that I'm fine. You know, it's so funny and so many times I've met people who, who will tell me that they never fast and pray. And I'm, I'm shocked when I hear that because they go like, no, I never fast and pray. I say, oh, why? I never need to. And I'm like, man, you don't even realize how much you need to fast and pray. Just like how this young man, you know, he thought he had it all, but he wasn't even keeping commandment number one, which was, you shall have no other gods before me, says God in Exodus. When he was listing up the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and then he, he thought he was okay, but, he, but unknowingly, he had idols in his life called his riches. He, he had another God in his life called mammon. On the other hand, we can be so biased uh, in realizing that we are sinners, that we start hating sin so much that we hate even the sinners. And we hate the people around us that act differently, talk differently, that we hate them and that we no longer have any love and compassion for them, don't. Let me remind you, biasness can be something that you are against or something that you are for. And so sometimes we are so for the law, for the commands, for don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud. We are so for the laws of God that we begin to hate the people who mess up and the people who screw up. And let us learn to have both law and grace. That was what Jesus was trying to teach this rich young man. You say you have the law, great. Now follow me and no grace. Because it is in following Jesus that we realize that these laws, we can never, we can never keep them perfectly. And, and it's only by the grace of God that we are able to keep some of them perfectly. And that we still need Jesus every day. Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And it's only by following Jesus that we're able to fulfill the law. So you might be watching this and you might be thinking, you know, a lot of uh, friends I know who don't know Jesus all hate the idea of thinking that they are sinners. And that could be a form of bias because we think that a sinner means the worst of the worst. But the Bible says a sinner is anyone that falls short. Like Romans 3.23 says, fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, all of us are sinners. Amen. And so I want us to become Christians that in the area of guilt, you know, let us not beat ourselves over the head thinking that we're not good enough. Let us remember, yes, there's law and it's important to keep the law, but ultimately it is through following Christ. Remember what was Jesus's invitation? He says, sell all you have, store up treasures in heaven, pick up your cross and follow me. Amen. But on the other hand, don't let your righteous living rob you of compassion. Don't let your righteous living lead you into comfort. But always check yourself and go like, God, I need you. 
God is only by your grace that I am able to be free from the different mess and addictions and, and all these things that, that many other people struggle with. But Lord, help me now to not boast. Help me now not to be self-righteous, but help me now to be compassionate. Amen. Point number three, last point. I know I have gone on a little bit longer. It says this, and you know, well, my point is this, we can be unconsciously biased against generosity. Point number three, generosity. Point number one, God. Point number two, guilt. Point number three, generosity. What was Jesus' command? Verse 21 of Mark chapter 10 says, This gift to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. I want us to learn. And, and I believe that this is the word from God as we even prepare to collect a missions offering. What is generosity? This rich young man thought he had no problems with money, but he realized that money actually had a hold on him. So what is generosity? Is generosity meaning someone who does not have uh, uh, issues with, with, with giving? No, it's not about that. Let me, let me read you something that the Lord spoke to me and I wrote down. It says this, generosity is not for people who have a lot. Generosity is about storing up treasures in heaven. What does it mean to store up treasures in heaven as Jesus teaches us? Let me give you this example. If I were to spend 3,000 pounds on brand new carpets, no, scratch that, 5,000 pounds. I know that's a lot of money, but that's why it's hypothetical. Let's say I save up 5,000 pounds and I, and I use it on brand new carpets to the church hub. How many of you can guarantee that when you come to visit me again, um, you, you need to take off your shoes? You might be thinking, but I already take off my shoes. Okay, okay. Uh, you definitely know that no spillage is going to be allowed on the 5,000 pound carpets. In fact, you might be surprised to see that Pastor, I thought you had a dog. And I'd be like, yeah, between the 5,000 pound carpets and the dog, I guess the dog had to go because, you know, with 5,000 pound carpets, I'm not about to allow the dog to do anything accidentally on it. Now, I know, hypothetical. Don't worry, the dog is fine. He's, she's still with us. What I mean to say is this, when you spend a lot of money on a treasure, or something, you begin to prize it, Right? And so when Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven, it means give to the poor and, and, and give to God so much so and in, in, in such generosity that you begin to prize it. You begin to prize that investment. You know what I'm saying, right? If, if you just bought a brand new car, Right, you spend all of your 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 savings, you know, on a brand new car, leather seats. You can bet that you're going to be precious about it, and and you don't say no. You're just being unconsciously biased. <laughs> you know? And so, what Jesus was teaching is this, right? Until, until your giving causes you to see heaven as your prized possession, like a treasure. You haven't been generous. Wow. Wow. I mean, when, when I was preparing for this, I was checking my heart because all this while, 
we can have unconscious biases thinking that generosity is something for rich people, right? Oh, because I'm not rich, because I don't have a lot. So whatever I give is fine. God can't possibly be mad with that. After all, I'm giving all that I have. I'm just giving my two mites because two mites is all that I have. But it's not about that. It's about how we give. And, and, and sometimes we, we, we can allow our bank account to limit our generosity because we think we don't have a lot. Therefore, we think it's okay to give very little. And giving very little away doesn't hurt us. And we create this unconscious bias to think that I'm doing okay. I'm being like the woman with the two mites. Only to realize that no, it's not about the amount. It's never been about the amount. It's about the heart. Until we give and give with a heart. and we, Until we begin to see value in the eternal things. And because when Jesus was talking about treasures in heaven, he was by no means saying that there's going to be a bank account in heaven. There's going to be a, 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 treasure, a, a trophy closet cabinet in heaven. No, no, no. He's saying that, you know, give to the point where heaven becomes your treasure. Are we giving to God to the point where, you know, all we have belongs to God? And that's why we say heaven is our treasure because we have nothing left here on earth. I'm not saying give until you're bankrupt, but I think it's a matter of the heart because when it comes to generosity, we can either be okay with giving too little or we can be justified to think that it doesn't apply to us because it's a rich people problem. No. Generosity, you know, it says here, could it be in our unconscious bias that we realize that we are not as generous as we think? Friends, as I close... I'm learning as I'm preparing this message that there's really Jesus' teaching always talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the, and, and, and the world. And in other words, our giving can either enrich all that we have, our possessions can either enrich the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the world. And generosity means giving to enrich the kingdom of God. And so I, I want us to check our hearts again. Amen. I want you to also know that generosity is about money, but it is not limited to just money. Amen. It's about your energy, your talent, all that you have. Sometimes we're scared to share, thinking that, nah, no, nobody would, would care. Thinking that, oh, no, this is mine. No, we, I've met people who go like, you know, I've got testimony, but I don't want to share it. The church because this is my personal testimony granted maybe you got some 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 reasons for that but for some of us we we need to learn to be more generous we need to learn to be more generous in our giving we need to be more generous with our time we need to be more generous with our encouragement you know i come from a culture where we leave good things, uh, you know, until the last minute. Meaning that, you know, we, we only start saying, oh, thank you so much. You've been a blessing to me. Not when the person's around, but usually as the person's about to leave our lives. Let us learn to be more kingdom and, and less 
bias towards our own culture. Let's learn to be more kingdom-minded and go like, God, I want to give. And generosity means giving to the kingdom, giving to enrich the kingdom, giving so much so that I begin to prize, see the kingdom of heaven as my prized possession, like how you would see a $5,000 carpet. That it is precious, that it is not to be trampled on, that it is something that to hold dear. And so let us learn to be generous because as this young ruler learned, he had an issue with generosity. He loved God, but there was one area that he would not allow God to touch. And that was the area of his finances. And again, that's an unconscious bias. We think that because we serve, because we evangelize, because we are Christian, because we are baptized, because we pray, because we know the Bible cover to cover, means that I am, I am so revived, not realizing that it is that one thing, money, generosity, that we are weak at. So let us be Christians that are, that's mindful. Amen? That, that, that I'm, the, the problem with unconscious bias is that it hits all of us. And it is a byproduct of sin. But the good news is this. And, you know, earlier on I said that of, it, it's, this parable is, not parable, but this, this uh, story between Jesus and the rich young ruler is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I chose Mark because of this one thing. And this is my encouragement as we close. Verse 21 of Mark 10, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said, one thing you still let go, sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Pick up your cross and follow me. But Jesus looking at him and loved him. Mark is the only one of the three gospel accounts that has the word loved him. And that is so important because as God is challenging the biasness in our lives, whether unconsciously or consciously, I want you to know that Jesus is doing it out of love. And with love, he is looking at you. And with love, he is inviting you to change that. Turn that biasness. Surrender that. Repent from that. And follow him. Maybe you're watching this and you're not yet a Christian. I want you to know we're all sinners. We all need God. Nobody is perfect. But Jesus is looking at you. And he is loving you and he's inviting you to follow him. Would you obey that call? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you are doing. And God, even as we learn from this powerful conversation you had with the rich young ruler and we're unpacking it, Lord, help us to reevaluate our walk with you. Help us not to have an unconscious bias towards you, God. And help us not to be so childish to think that God, because you are good, you cannot correct. And just and so childish to think that because you correct, you cannot be good. Lord, you are both good and you both correct. Help us, Lord, to love both aspects of you. Lord, help us to understand that all of us are guilty of sin. And yes, some of us here, we might have been victorious in many areas of our lives, but Lord, help us never, never, never to be so unconsciously biased to think that we've made it and that we've nothing to work on. Help us to always seek after you and realize, Lord, that all that we have comes from you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who struggle and, and sometimes guilt becomes this thing that eats them up alive and stops them from following you. And because 
Christianity feels like an impossible standard to live by. But Lord, you gave us the law, but you also gave us your hand and says, follow me. And it is only by your grace, by your love that sustains us, that helps us to be better and helps us to over time live out the law, but not in a self-righteous way, but live out the law to be a blessing to the people around us and to glorify you. And last but not least, Lord, as we prepare to give next Sunday, help us to check our hearts when it comes to generosity. Does money have more of a hold in our life than we realize? Help us to repent from that and help us to realize that generosity is not about rich people giving away a lot of money. Generosity is about enriching heaven and and enriching the kingdom. Help us to give to enrich the kingdom. Help us to give and help us to be generous, starting financially, but overflowing into every area of our lives. Help us to be generous with our praise. Help us to be generous with our time for each other. Help us to be generous. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. If you've been touched by today's message and would like to invite Jesus into your life, why don't you join me in saying this prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for paying the ultimate price for my sins by dying on the cross for me. I receive your love and forgiveness and eternal life by faith. Come into my heart and life and be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you've been blessed by today's message. For more information about Acts, you can check out www.actschurch.uk. God bless.